My name is Keith Case, and I'm a pastor here at, at Providencia. I've been away. I was only supposed to be away for two weeks, ended up being three weeks uh, due to my grandmother dying, and um, I ended up doing uh, her funeral back in Chattanooga, but it's, it's good to be back with you all. Uh, it's crazy. I got sick, uh, of course, in the midst of all that. Um, when you have vacation with five kids, the joke is you always need a vacation after you come back. So um, if anybody wants to watch our kids for the next couple of weeks, uh, for my wife and I, so that we can fully recover our health, uh, we'd greatly appreciate it. But it's so good to be back uh, in West Palm, back here at Providencia with you all. Our word uh, for tonight comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. This is uh, from the NIV translation. There's uh, Bibles in your pews there if you want to follow along there on your phone. Uh, but the scriptures also appear on the screen behind us. Starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who once, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole world, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, this whole month, uh, we are talking about being rooted in our, uh, in our center, in, in our spirituality. Uh, last month was about being rooted in mission. And all year we've been talking about what does it mean to be rooted and this month is to be rooted in our spirituality, in the center, the core of who we are. And as I said uh, earlier, I was supposed to be gone uh, for two weeks. It ended up uh, being gone uh, three weeks. And my grandmother who died, she was one of those grandmothers that I was like really close to. You know, it's kind of the question you ask people when their grandparent dies, like, were you close to them? Because sometimes grandparents, like, we don't know them, they die, and it's like, okay, I'm here, I don't have much attachment. But this grandmother was like the one that I was the closest to. She was like the matriarch of the family. She was the one that really uh, held our, our family together. 
and um, was a woman of incredible uh, kindness and compassion. And as a, one of her grandchildren, she made a ton of magic for us. Being a parent is awesome. Being a grandparent, I feel like you have more magical powers uh, to create memories. And uh, she was one of those who created so many memories. And I was asked by my father to do her funeral, and that was a real honor um, to do it. I wept the whole time. I laughed a few times, but uh, it was really, really difficult. And this month was really hard. We had somebody sick almost every day of our vacation that we were gone. Um, uh, we got a call from, from Jordan. He was checking our mail. The second day we were gone, we had a note on our door from the, the city water company saying that they turned off our water. There was a leak. I was like trying to figure that out the whole time because Harper had helped me install a, a washing machine before we left. So I thought maybe when he was tightening the hoses, he didn't do it right. So our whole house was flooded. And uh, Jordan went aside, no, there's no flood. But uh, we had put in new grass a little while ago. Remember my grass, if those of you have been here for a while, so half my grass is dead now. And so it felt like everything was dying. Everything was getting sick, dying. We're exhausted. We're like, oh my God. Um, but in the midst of that, just crying out to God, like, God, please, like, show me some mercy here. And just give me some compassion and some kindness here. And, um, and he did. And it was really through you all. And just so grateful for the text messages and the ways that you guys reached out and the phone calls and the emails and the Facebook messages and Instagram and um, the gifts and uh, just all of it um, in the midst of that. And the generosity, um, just asking God to help us uh, financially, even trying to figure out our travel and, and how uh, God pr provided for us in that um, was really, really just... Um, so good for me and, and healing. Um, so thank you for being an answer to the prayer. We miss you guys. We have felt the geographical distance. It's, it's wild how, you know, you can still feel close to people but still feel so far away because you don't see them. And um, we try to be really intentional when we go away um, about just trying to be with our family. But you all have become our family too. And so it's, it's one of those weird things that we experience going away that we're with our family, but coming back, we feel like we're coming home. So thank you for the homecoming that you all have given to us. And, and tonight, uh, the sermon is about one humanity, and it's a homecoming. It's about one humanity, and it's a homecoming. And I want you guys to know that when I uh, travel uh, growing up uh, as a kid, and even on to, these, to this day, I've kind of gotten so old now that I give up a little bit, but uh, I always want to look like a local. I don't know if you guys travel much, but, you know, if I, if I go um, to, like, Spain, I've never been there, but if I went to Spain, I would want everybody, I'd probably start smoking. Uh, I, would, I would, you know, start staying out really late, drinking espresso there. I would try to be, like, as Spanish as I possibly could. Uh, if, if I went to Alaska, I, I would probably buy, like, one of those fishing suits, and, and I would try to speak, like, fishing lingo and speak with their accent or whatever. So wherever, wherever I've traveled, the one thing that I've been able to get down, except for uh, Scotland, is uh, the accent. I can, I, can, I can get the accent really, people are like, man, your accent is so good, Keith. When I go to Puerto Rico or different Spanish countries, man, your accent, man, amazing. Are you fluent? No, I'm not fluent. But I get really good at copying the accent. And so uh, I always, always want to be a local because I don't ever want to be treated like an outsider. I don't ever want to be seen as a tourist. Because, like, you're then a tourist. 
And to me, then it's like, oh my God, like people are going to take advantage of you and all kinds of other things. Uh, but you're going to be an outsider. I always want to be an insider. Always want to be a local. Always want to be in it, you know. And it reminded me of a story as I was, as I was thinking about that of um, the party. Some of you guys probably remember this, but when, when Barack Obama was leaving um, office, and, and I think it was the BET, like hosted a party at the White House. And so it was like, off the charts, like, like so many African-American musicians there and just so many African-American celebrities and, and this amazing party happening in the White House. But the thing that stood out to me, I was reading an interview from one of the ladies who was there and she talked about seeing uh, President Barack Obama's picture on the wall. And for the first time ever that there was an African-American uh, president hanging on the wall. In a way, like, we're no longer, as African Americans, we're no longer outsiders. Like, we're in now. Like, we have, we've, like, bought stock on this wall right here. We own a piece of this land. And that desire that we all have to be insiders. Paul was, in many ways, an insider. He was Jewish, and his audience, as he is writing so often, was to the people who were outsiders. And this is what he, he said to them in, in verse 11. He says, by birth, you were an outsider. By birth, you were a Gentile. By birth, you were a non-Jew. You were, you were outside of family that I'm a part of. You were a Gentile by birth, an outsider. And you are, <clears throat> in many ways, uh, there's no way by, by your genetics that you can come in. You can't change your genetics to come in. And in many ways, for me growing up, I wanted to be a local in other places, but I also in many ways wanted to change, even like genetically, to become other races. I don't know, I'm a weird kid, right? But I wanted to become, my, my own wife, uh, she went to Mexico when she was a little kid. And she grew up there, and her prayer as a little kid in Mexico at night was for God to give her brown legs because all of her friends had brown legs. That we literally want to change even our genetics just to become a part of the group. Um, and, and there's always a promise, it seems like, attached to all of a sudden going from an outsider to becoming an insider. It's as if once I cross that threshold, once I cross that barrier that kept me on the outside and I become an inside, there's something that I will have, something that I will possess that will be a game changer, that will change my life. Finally, my life will be okay. And this has basically been my journey since middle school. Um, it still continues that I still see other groups that are enticing to me, that I want to become an insider. I want to become inside of their group. We went to Universal Studios on the way home and, uh, for one day, and I had like probably a fever, and I was sick as I am, uh, sicker than I am right now. Uh, Amy said, hey, Keith, maybe you just want to go back to the hotel and go to sleep. You look horrible. The kids are worried about you, right? And I'm like a seven on the Enneagram, so I'm like, heck no. We're at Universal. We're going to have fun. And, and I was just dying. And I didn't ride like any rides, but there was something about being inside of the park that was different than me just sitting outside of the park and waving at my kids inside the park. 
There's something about being inside. And I don't know what the groups are for you that are enticing, that you just want to be a part of. Just, if you could think about that for a second, what are the groups that you are trying to get into? And maybe, maybe it's like the million dollar club, right? Maybe it's like the successful uh, <clears throat> you know, entrepreneur club. Maybe it's like that top 100 hit on the billboard charts. You know what? I don't know what it is for you, what the club is that you are trying to get into that's enticing you. But, but I have them in my life, and I have these things that still make me an outsider. And Paul's saying, so for some of us, like just by our birth, we're an outsider to his, his little community that he was a part of. But there's this other thing called circumcision, which was this religious rite. So he's saying like, by religion, some of you are insiders and some of you are outsiders. Those of you who've been circumcised are insiders. Those of you who haven't are outsiders. And Gentiles hadn't been circumcised, most of them. So they were outsiders by his religious standards. And not just were they outsiders, physically speaking, by things that had happened to their body or not happened to their body, but they were even called outsiders. That the Jews referred to them as the uncircumcised or the outsiders or the Gentiles. They were the people who were out there, not the people that are in here. They don't belong. They're not a part of us. And in verse 12, Paul talks about this distance in an expansive way. He says, you were excluded from citizenship, from covenant promises, from hope, from God. And then in verse 13, Paul goes on to say, In Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near. You've been let in. How? You who were outsiders by birth, by religion, have been brought in. In Christ, how? It's not just that you came to the border and said, hey, please let me in. No, it's that Christ went and found you and brought you in, gave you citizenship where you were and brought you in, carried you on his back. In the midst of your genetic, in the midst of your religious distance, he brings you in. And Paul is saying it was Christ that he, is, he was wounded to do it. He suffered a price was paid with his blood. Something outside of ourselves brought us near, brought us inside. A sacrifice was made by someone. A cost happened. A purchase was made to give us access to bring us in. And what has, has Christ gone across the border to give us? Now, we often think of atonement when we think of the blood of Christ because it speaks of Christ's blood, and some jump to Christ's death to reconcile us to God, and you can go there. That's apparent and applicable here. But Paul seems to be going after something else through this as well. The blood was shed because of what divided us from each other. What divided us with hostility? There's nothing wrong with boundaries, but what is up with the hostility? What is up with the hostility? 
You have what I need and I must take it from you. You're in, I'm not. To get in, I must take what you have to get in. That these wars throughout history have happened to try to gain the promise of what we thought it would mean to be an insider, to be inside the group. A few years ago, uh, Angel and Indira told me, they said, hey, you got to watch this show on Netflix called Stranger Things. And I promise there's no spoiler alerts right now. Um, but they said, hey, you got to watch it. it. It has all these themes that we talk about at Providencia. He may have even said it was Providencia or something like that. So <clears throat> I watched it. I was like, oh, my gosh, what is this? You know, it took me two or three episodes to get in. Now my family's hooked. We've already watched all of episode three. But if you haven't seen it or if you have, just to kind of take it to a meta level, going back to the first two seasons, not even thinking about season three yet. Um, but the first two seasons is that when you, when you look at the whole story and the bigger picture of what's going on, what's this wild, fascinating thing, is that it's through people's wounds. It's through people's wounds that hostility is still comes into this world. It's through these open wounds that, that pain is still go, like it's being enacted on other people, that, that evil is coming in and destroying people. Through these wounds, these open wounds, we continue to, to wound each other. The wars continue. The grasp for power. For healing to happen, for the wounds to be healed, for the world to be made right, eleven must bleed. Every time, every time, She's, she bleeds. It's, it's because she is trying to protect. It's because she's trying to see something that will help her understand. And every time they put the bandana on and she goes and she looks and she, she sees, what does she see? She sees the pain in people's stories. She sees the root of the wound. And she, we, as an audience, whether you realize it or not, we begin to develop this thing called compassion. You begin to have compassion for these people who've been doing evil things even. When you begin to see them in their story, where they are, compassion changes us. In verse uh, 14, it says that Christ destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, it's like there's this war going on between the insiders and the outsiders, between the Jews and the Gentiles. And how did he destroy it? How did he make the two groups one? Verse 15, it says, He took on the law and all the regulations in his flesh. What does that mean? That he lived out what the people of God were always to be doing that he really embraced the law, that he truly lived out the law in his life and in his flesh the way that it was supposed to be lived out. See, what, what happened to Israel and what happens to many people when they hear that, it can happen to many people when they hear, oh, you know, God loves you. And God has chosen you to bless you. Is that the elect become the elite. 
See, if you've been an outsider and all of a sudden you get on the inside out there in L.A., if you've been working so hard to get in the inner circle of L.A. and you're finally in, you can soon forget what it was like to be an outsider and dare risk ever being kicked out now that you're in. Once you're in, the worst thing that can happen is to be kicked back out. So these people living in fear, but that Christ lived it out. And how do we see it on verse 16? The cross. That at the cross, he put to death their hostility. He put it to death. He paid the price on the cross. He lived out the call, the heart of God on display. And this is the heart of God. Come in to my heart. Insiders over here, outsiders over here, come into my heart. The thing that you've been warring over, trying to get into, trying to keep other people out, you can all come in now. There's no more hostility. There's no more war. The heart of God is wide open for you. The only thing separating you from this is if you're still holding on to the war. You're still fighting to get in. You're still fighting to keep people out. He says, come in. To the outsider, let me carry you home from this war. You don't have to fight for it anymore. To the insider, let me carry you home from this war. You don't have to protect it anymore. What you've been fighting for your whole life, I will give you freely. Connection through grace, through my spirit. While we were on vacation, probably the, I don't know, three or four days into it, it basically became a waiting game for when my grandmother was going to die. And the closest I could compare it to in my life was like hurricane season, when they're like, a category four hurricane is bearing down on West Palm Beach. It'll be here any moment. And you're like, okay, you start like trying to plan, like when are we going to evacuate? You know, have we got all our water? We, we prepared for this, you know, the supplies and everything. And then it just feels like it never comes as fast as they say it's going to come, right? It's like the hurricane always drags out and drags out and drags out. And so the, the, my grandmother dying, like, didn't happen until the day after we were supposed to leave. But <clears throat> probably a, a week before we were supposed to leave, I came, came in from the water. Uh, I'd been pulling the kids behind her ski boat, and my sister greeted me in the yard, and she said, hey, things have gotten really bad with grandmother. Uh, I think you and I need to go if you're going to go see her before she dies. And it'd probably been like a year before I'd seen my grandmother or since I'd seen my grandmother. So my sister and I loaded up and we drove about an hour and a half back to Chattanooga uh, to see her. And, um, you know, very hard to go into those places, you know, assisted living places. And uh, just you feel like for me, I feel like everybody around me is, uh, you know, the doorstep of death. And uh, it's just hard. 
it's just hard being in those places. And to walk into my grandmother's room and to see her um, in a hospital bed, a woman who was so full of life for so many years. But um, for whatever reason, I was given the opportunity uh, that day. They said it was the most awake that she had been in about two weeks. And I was able to just hold her hand and to be with her and to look her in the eyes. And I probably, I literally probably, her face right here, I probably was like this far away from her face, holding her hand for like 45 minutes, uh, looking into her eyes. I was able to tell her that I loved her. She told me uh, that she loved me. And um, it was just a really precious, precious moment. And I was just trying to absorb all of it that I could. And <clears throat> so many, you know, things uh, going on inside of me. But in the midst of that, my grandmother took, uh, took our hands and she brought them up to my face. And she just took her finger and just ever so gently just stroked my cheek. She, you know, died probably four or five days later. But in the face of death, in the face of me feeling guilty as a grandson for not seeing her more, she just stuck her hand up here and just ever so gently just gave me this compassion, just gave me this kindness. And I realized that she had been giving me that my whole life. She'd been giving that to our family our whole life. You know, whenever I would go over and hang out with my grandmother, whenever she would pick me up, you know, you, you could always find out what was going on in the family because she knew what was going on with everybody. You know, there was like 13 or more cousins, and, and, and there was always some kind of drama going on in my family especially, right? And uh, so I'd ask her, hey, what's going on with so-and-so? And what's going on with so-and-so? And there was always some kind of dramatic story. And... Um, she could have just left it at, you know, well, they're in uh, rehab or they're doing this or they're doing that, whatever. But my grandmother, you know, she would let you know what was going on, but then she would always tell you the story behind the story. She always knew the pain. She always knew there was some hurt that was there that was still alive, that they needed healing, that they needed that compassion and that kindness, and that tenderness, and that gentleness. She's been giving that to me my whole life. In our family, we have like, we're like a blended, blended family. Like, you know, some of us in spades, right? But in, in our family, if you're a part of the family, you're in. You're in. Everybody's in. If you're a part of this family, you are in. If you ever brought a, a friend over, they were in too. Grandmother, my grandmother wanted everybody to know what it was like to be in, to taste that. She'd been giving me that my whole life, that compassion. She let me taste family. She let me taste what it meant to be home. And right after she did that, I was falling apart. I was crying and, you know, trying to, like, you know, not snot on her hand. Um, and... Uh, and then she looked at me, and she went like this. And the, the joke of that is I used to always do that to my sister to drive her crazy. 
I would, she sat across the dinner table from me, and I would always do that to my sister. I would just sit there and look at her because my parents were on this side. They couldn't see my, you know, silent assassin attack. And uh, they would be, like, you know, distracted, and I would go. And she would just lose it, right? And my grandmother, like, in the, you know, on the doorstep of death is looking at me going, <laughs> you know? It's like love, compassion, joy. That she would taste that that she would be giving that to me even in her death. That she would be letting me taste what it's like to belong, to be home. In verse 18, Paul says, you're no longer foreigners, aliens, but you're now citizens. Not just of a nation, but of a people. Not just of a people, but of a household. By one spirit so weird to me. That verse, it hit me. Um, it, it almost sounded like we shared the same spirit. That's almost what I felt like Paul was saying. It's like the way he worded it, by one spirit, that we're being connected, knit together in such a profound way, that we belong in such a profound way, that we share this spirit. In verse 19, the household, the house built on the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ, as the head cornerstone, and your name is on the list too now. There's a place for you at the table. You are part of this uprising, this new temple that's being built here on earth, and he holds it together, this holy temple, this holy temple that creates inclusivity for a broken world. And in verse 21, we are being built together to become a dwelling that God is living in by His Spirit, a place where we are seen and known. Seen and known and loved. Could we be this close? Can we carry each other in our pain? In many ways, this family what helps me to go and be a part of that family. You guys being my family here, allowing me to be connected here, allowing me to have space to process my life here, allows me to be this close to my grandmother and her death. Allows me to be this present even in the face of death. Could we be this close And I would just say thank you for being this close to us. Thank you for carrying us in our pain. Thank you for welcoming us home. And this prayer that we would continue to live out this thing that Jesus said that was so mysterious to me that he took these two groups that he calls like you know, these two Gentiles and Jews, like insiders, outsiders, and that in his body, he made a new humanity, that he's making a new humanity. And this is what I want you to hear tonight, that the invitation he's giving to insiders and outsiders is to come home to your humanity. 
Don't run from your humanity. Come home to your humanity. That we have a city starving for a place where they can just be a human being. That we in here are starving for a place that we can just be a human. You can be tired. You can be depressed. You can be anxious. You can be scared. You can be joyful. You can be excited. You can be happy. You can be all these things, and you can be them at the same time. That you can be seen and you can be known. Let us pray.